Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Dr. Jacob Koshy for his message. We are continuing with our Better Homes and Families series, and, and today what we are going to be looking at is strong relationships. And looking more at what can we do to help foster strong relationships. Because sometimes there are things that we do that are positive, that enhance our, our relationships. And there could be things that actually negatively affect our strong relationships. You know, loneliness is now recognized as an emerging public health issue. And it's, it's become a major issue all over the world, particularly in the, in the developing world. One in five people in America say that they are lonely. And more than that now in Australia say they are lonely. And I'm just reading a little bit from there. There's actually a coalition for loneliness that's been established by the, by the federal government. And it says loneliness occurs when the quality of our relationships are felt to be inadequate. It can occur even if we are surrounded by people as well as when we are socially isolated. Everyone experiences loneliness at points in life, just as we experience pain and hunger. And loneliness is a prompt to seek out a way to meet our needs, in this case, for social connection. And for many people, the experience of loneliness is temporary, but for others it can become entrenched and damaging. It causes physical health problems with consequences as dire as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness also contributes to and exacerbates mental health problems. It occurs across the lifespan from childhood to old age. But you know, the research evidence is clear. Loneliness can be addressed. Interventions that focus on changing negative thinking and encouraging us to improve the quality of our relationships and build intimacy with those around us can reduce our loneliness. The need for connection is in our very DNA. What seems to help loneliness is when we are seen, heard, and valued. All I'm talking about is from the secular world. This is what research tells us, okay? I don't know how many of you have heard of blue zones across the world. These are zones where people live the longest and happiest lives. And they have identified certain cities like Okinawa in Japan, Loma Linda in the States, and Sardinia in Italy. What they found common in all these places was that all these areas, the communities that lived in those places, prioritized connections and relationships. Either they prayed together, or they walked together, or they spent more time nurturing family connections. Why connections? Why do we need connections? We've just heard secular people tell us why we need meaningful, significant connections. Well, you know what? The Bible told us this all along. It's amazing how so many things that, we, that secular researchers are spending years discovering and doing all kinds of research on are things that were described in the Bible for centuries. <laughs> the Bible tells us we were created for connection. 
we didn't need someone to tell us it's in our very dna we were created for connection that's what god tells us he says god said it is not good for man to be alone we cannot thrive without connection in fact you know if you want to if you want to punish someone the worst possible punishment that you could give someone is solitary confinement and that's why in prisons across the world when people <laughs> behave terribly in prisons they would put them in solitary confinement and that can be one of the most devastating punishments you can give someone to just completely isolate them from any social interaction a few years ago i had to go to melbourne and spend 3 months away from my family as i was preparing to do exams i was surrounded by people because i was in a big department that i worked in but i didn't have any meaningful connections at the time and 3 months i didn't realize how much i missed connections with people until the 3 months was getting to an end and i definitely i felt that something wasn't quite right but at the end of those 3 months as i was going i we i went to do the exam and and a friend of mine from alice who works with me he had also come for the exam and he came and we stayed together in this apartment and you know that moment i walked in there and met him now he's not a believer and he's just a friend but the minute i walked in and shook his hand and we welcomed each other after 3 months it was almost as though someone had poured cold water on my soul i sat there with another human being with who i had a connection with even though it wasn't a very deep significant connection it was just a friend but just sitting there with him i can't describe to you the relief that flooded my soul and i i honestly i was so surprised that i would feel that way uh but it just reiterated to me the power of connection you know when the secular world tells us that you need to have significant meaningful connections with other people i look at the church and i think what better place to have significant connections than in the church what other place can you get together in a small group with a group of people who you know that relationship with is not just a temporary relationship but one that is going to carry on for all eternity you get together and you talk together you share together your deepest fears your 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 anxieties your your struggles that you're going through your joys and to be able to do that in a safe environment how good is that so you know my my i my hope is that all of you if you aren't in a small group already that you will recognize how vital it is that we are part of a small group it's great to be part of church it's great to be part of church but you know what church on a sunday is is a big big gathering you can't develop strong meaningful relationships in the time we spend just on a sunday but can i encourage you seek out a small group a small group where you can feel a part of where you can develop those meaningful relationships a place where you will be valued and where you will be heard and believe me that will do wonders for your soul <laughs> You know the Bible tells us we 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 know that connections help balance our lives. If you live in isolation, 
you know, you, you can tend to become a little bit unbalanced. You think things and you, you, don't have things, you don't have people you can bounce ideas off. And people sometimes balance you in the way they talk about things and their view and their perspectives on things can be quite different to the way you think. And sometimes that helps bring balance to you. Connections can also give us strength, emotional, spiritual, even physical. When you have connections with people who, who are like-minded and you think, okay, I want to I start getting healthy and exercise, and you join a group of people who, who think the same, you know, they can, they can be the stimulus to you to do and go beyond what you would do by yourself. I want to talk to you about a church where it was growing. There was an incredible influx of people coming into church. And from all accounts, it looked like it was a church that was thriving. Everything seemed to be going for them. But then Paul, as he writes to this particular church, he recognizes that there is an issue there. Despite the fact that the church is growing and, and or from the outside it looks like everything is fine, there were certain deep-seated issues that were affecting the strength of the relationships within the church. So not just the physical numbers growing in the church, but there was something that was affecting the physical relationships, the, I mean, the relationships within the church, and that was affecting the strength of how the church was growing in terms of, of the strength of connections between people in the church. And even though it was supposed to be building itself up in love, there was a problem. The problem was that as people came to the Lord and as people came and were added to the church, they brought with themselves a lot of their old habits and their old things that they had been involved in. And yes, Christ had come into their lives. They had made a decision for the Lord. But there were still certain things that they carried with them. And that was beginning to affect the quality of the relationships they could have with each other. So I want to look at a few of those things. And maybe those are some things that, that need to change. It needed to change in the Ephesian church. Maybe there are things that in our lives that we may be prompted to think about. That possibly, if we change that, could affect and change for better our relationships with other people. You know, we'll go to, um, you know, I, I, I remember that when, when I was about seven or eight, there was a particular t-shirt that I loved, okay? It was a, it was a cotton green t-shirt. And you know, sometimes with, with shirts, when you wash them over time, they get softer and much more comfortable. And this particular t-shirt was really comfortable. And it, it, it was a green t-shirt with balloons on it, Right? And, and I know, it's terrible. I can't even think of it now. So it had, it had a red, yellow, and, and a blue balloon, okay? And everywhere I went, I had to wear that T-shirt. Not that I had to, but because I was just so comfortable in that T-shirt. It felt so good, you know? And finally, my mom got so exasperated. She says, you have all these other shirts. Why do you have to wear this one T-shirt everywhere you go? But I said, I just love this T-shirt. So one day the T-shirt went missing. <laughs> and I never saw it again. So I grieved for that T-shirt. <laughs> but sometimes we can get so comfortable with habits that we have that 
that we don't even realize that we are just, you, you know, we still have those habits. And those habits could affect the quality of the relationships we have with other people. You know, just as I needed to get rid of that old t-shirt, you know, there are certain things in our lives that need to change. And if I could have the first slide on, please. I, I, want, to, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4. And it says... And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed, to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you belong to him in the realm of true holiness. He has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, the old self-life. He has taught you, and he is calling you to be to to live a new life in union with him because he has recreated you there are things in our lives that need to go things that need to change i remember when my son comes back after being on camp you know the, in st philip's they go for 11 day camp called the Endeavor Camp. And, and they go out in, yeah. Andrew, you are there. You know exactly what it's like. So they go out for 11 days. And for 11 days, they don't have a shower. For 11 days, they will wear the same clothes. And they will roll around in the dust and do all, walk for miles, kilometers, and they sweat a lot. So I need not tell you what they are like when they come back. Babu will tell me what Joel was like when he came back this time. But, you know, they come home and sure, I haven't seen my son. We haven't seen our son for 11 days. I would love to go and hug him and give him a big kiss. But no. <laughs> oh, 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 no. My son, I love you, but please go around to the back of the house. Get all those clothes off. Step in the shower. And then we'll talk. <laughs> yeah? Sometimes it's like that. That things, we, there are smelly things in our lives that really need to go before our relationships with other people can be strengthened. What are those things that need to change? Sometimes when you need to make those changes, you have to make a conscious decision that I need to change. You know, when there are certain people who are hard to get along with, and when they behave in a certain way toward you, that can affect the way you feel and the way the rest of your day goes. But you can choose how you allow that person's behavior toward you to affect you. So at work, the, in a particular department where I work, there is a person who was extremely difficult. And there were multiple complaints about this person, about the way uh, that person, so I won't even mention gender, but it was a she, she <laughs> treated, <laughs> the way she treated people, and, and, and so there were lots of complaints about the way she treated people. And so I went there. I, I had to deal with her a couple of times because of, of, of people who came and worked with us having to go through her. 
And she was extremely hard to talk to. She was very abrupt. She was very rude. All that. But then I decided I will not let the way she treats me dictate the way I feel or the way I even treat her back. So I made it a point. Everywhere I saw her, outside of where she worked in her office, I would have a big smile for her and go up to her and say, hello, how are you today and how are things going? And, you know, I just kept doing that. And in the beginning, it, she wouldn't even respond. She would have a very gruff answer for me. But, you know, you can wear people down by goodness and kindness. So I wore her down, you know. And, and believe me, even though she finally had to be moved out of that department because of how she behaved with people, she and I have an amazing relationship today. You know, when she had to have a procedure done, she looked me up and she said, I would like you to please be my anesthetist. And, and even now when I see her on the road, <laughs> she's the one who comes up and has the big wave. Even if I have a grumpy face on, she will come up to me and say, hey, how are you, Kashi? How are you going? And, and so it is a conscious decision sometimes we have to take. And so even with the things that need to change, we have to consciously make that decision to change. We need to replace old habits with new. So can I go to the next slide, please? So the first thing that he talks about is replacing lying with the truth. Exchange, so discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as the one, as one who always speaks the truth for we all belong to one another. Exchange dishonesty for honesty. Get rid of any kind of deceit and put integrity in its place. You know, so often good relationships are built on trust. And if I can't trust you as my friend to tell me the truth and be truthful and honest with me, it becomes hard for me to progress in my relationship with you. So I think this is, this is something that we don't speak about enough. But lying is something that according to the word of God, God detests. It's one you know, where powerful words are used. God detests slanderous lips or lying lips. It says he detests it. And you know, nowadays I see people lie without batting an eyelid. It doesn't seem to bother people at all that they lie you know, people who work with young people, I shouldn't say young people, anybody, uh, people who work with me, they, they, they lie to my face and I know they're lying and it doesn't seem to bother them at all and it's, it's part of what you need to do to survive. It's part of what you need to do to get ahead in life. I have employed people because I have trusted a referee report of what people have said about someone I'm about to employ. And then I've employed them and then discovered they are unmanageable. They are difficult people. They are hard to manage. And then I have called back and asked other people in places where they work. And they say, of course, he was the most difficult person to deal with. We had to get rid of him. Why do you think we gave him such a good referee report? <laughs> That's horrible, isn't it? That's horrible. But, but they don't think twice about it. And... and and, and lying has become just such a part of what we do and, and people seem to accept that it's acceptable. But, you know, I am challenged. You know, in my small group, I, I have uh, Prasad, 
who is very straight and who, who there's no left, no right, no black and white, no gray. Sorry, there's no gray. There's all black and white. And, and it can be refreshing to have someone like that who will confront you and who will share that we need to be truthful. We need to, if the word of God says we must be truthful, then that is what God expects us to be. And so he, he's, he, he challenges me because he says that's what he has adopted in his life, that whatever I say has to be truthful. And if someone asks me something and I cannot give them the truth for some reason or the other, then I will not give them an answer. But I will not tell a lie. And that's what he's trying to bring up his kids also. He tells his young one, uh, when, when, when he does something wrong and can't tell him the truth, he'll say, look, what you've done is wrong, but you have to tell me the truth. Did you do it? Yes, you did it. Tell me the truth. Yeah. Madison Sarat, who uh, was dean at Vanderbilt University and a teacher in the mathematics department, <laughs> yeah, when he gave an examination, he would tell his class, today I'm going to give you two examinations, one in trigonometry and one in honesty. I hope you will pass them both, but if you must fail one, let it be trigonometry. For there are many good people in this world today who cannot pass an examination in trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass an examination in honesty. 20 to 30 years later, his students still speak of the effect those words had on their adult lives. We must all pass the examination in honesty if we're going to build strong relationships within the church. So can I encourage us to think about that now, the next time you give an answer, think about whether what I'm saying is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yeah? Let's go to the next slide. The next thing that, that we are asked to replace, again, from Ephesians, is to replace anger with peace. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not for even a day. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. You know, that is strong. Exchange your resentment for reconciliation. Trade in your frustrations for the resolution of conflict. We're all going to get angry from time to time. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as we don't destroy other people in our anger. As long as we don't tear people down in our anger. As long as we don't do things that will hurt people badly because of the way we get angry. And do you see that? The devil, it, it gives the devil and he calls him the slanderous accuser because he is he's the father of lies. But he gives, we give him an opportunity to manipulate us in our anger. That is how powerful anger can be as an emotion. And the way we respond in that emotion, it can cause the devil to manipulate us in our anger. You know, anger is an area I have struggled with. And, and I don't think I had really good role models <laughs> with my mom and dad growing up on, on how to deal with anger. And I think that's probably why I struggled for a long time. And my wife will give you... Terrific examples of how my anger was in the early days. But I think I am getting better, am I? Yeah? 
I'm putting her on the spot and she has to say yes. <laughs> oh, look, but honestly, I, I made a lot of mistakes with my anger. In the early days of our marriage and even with our kids, I, I look back and, and it breaks my heart the, the, the ways I would have uh, behaved in, in my immaturity and in my, uh, I don't know, in just in, in the ways I didn't know how to handle my anger. And, and I think that my kids carry a lot of hurt from that. But I have sat with them and I have talked about it and about how I have asked forgiveness and, and explained to them that, you know, that's who I was. That's not the person I wanted to be, but that's who I was. And, and I have asked forgiveness for that. But, you know, anger is something that we... we I don't know, some of you struggle, maybe others don't, but, but I did anyway. And, and it's something that can really destroy relationships if we hold on to anger. Anger can be righteous, anger can be good, but the, how we handle the, what comes out of the anger is really, really important. I mean, Jesus got angry, right? Yeah, Jesus got angry. I'm, some of my brothers agree with me, the ones who, who struggled with me as well. He got angry and he took a whip and he whipped people and he overturned tables and he did all that. It was a righteous anger, yeah? But I think we just need to be careful how we handle our anger. You know, on June 1st, 2005, there was a man called Percy Arrowsmith and he had a wife, Florence. Percy was 105 years old and his wife was 100 years old. And they had celebrated their 80th wedding anniversary. Percy unfortunately died two weeks later. They had met at their church in England in Hereford. And he sang in the choir. She was a Sunday school teacher. And according to the Guinness Book of Records, the couple held the record for the longest marriage as well as the oldest aggregate age of a married couple. And they claimed that the key to their long marriage was not to go to sleep on an argument. But they said they always kissed each other and held hands each night before going to bed. Some nights they went to bed very, very late. <laughs> but they kissed and they made up and they knew the secret to a strong relationship. My friend, if we want to build strong relationships for a strong church, then first of all, replace lying with truth, replace anger with peace. The third thing is replace stealing with sharing. Now, this is going to sound a bit odd. He says, if any one of you has stolen from someone else, never do it again. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you will have enough to bless those in need. When I talk about stealing here, I'm not talking about going out and robbing someone. But we can steal in our relationships you know, when you take out of a relationship and not give back, that is a form of stealing. And sometimes we can be people who just take, 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 take out of relationships and not give in enough. And believe me, that is an ideal way to, for a relationship to break down when we constantly take and don't give back. So don't steal <laughs> from your relationship and, and don't go into a relationship expecting to get something all the time out of it. But can you go into a relationship and think, what can I give to this relationship? What can I do to bless 
this person who I'm going to a relationship with, how can I bless the relationship? And, and you know, these things I'm talking about are not just between a husband and wife. It's not just between, you know, parents and children. But this is, you know, in every sphere of relationship that you will have, whether it's at work, your friends, every, all these things will apply to any, any relationship. You know, there's a Catholic priest known as Abbey Pierre. Abbey Pierre. And he started the Emmaus Communities, which is now known all over the world as a ministry to homeless men and women all across Europe. And this unique ministry restores the dignity of homeless men and women. And these homeless men and women are called companions, ministry companions. And they call them ministry companions by inviting them to serve others. And it all started with Abbey Pierre's first companion in ministry, a homeless man named George. After George was released from prison, his family couldn't cope with him coming back because of the shame of having someone from the family who had been in prison. And so they asked him to leave. So homeless and unemployed and on the verge of suicide, George came and asked Pierre, Father Pierre, for help. And much to George's surprise, Father Pierre asked George to help him instead. He asked Father Pierre for help, but Father Pierre said, I want you to help me. He said, I have a number of homeless women and children, and I need help to look after their needs. Will you help me? And so Pierre challenged George to turn his life around by serving the less fortunate. And so George became the first companion for Emmaus. And all the subsequent companions who have joined the whole, this, this organization have lived fulfilled lives. They have turned their lives around. And it began by someone who is in a less fortunate circumstance being able to go out and help somebody else, restoring dignity to them and saying, you are not useless, but rather you can be incredibly useful to somebody else. So George himself says, whatever else Father Pierre might have given me, money, home, somewhere to work, I'd still have tried to kill myself. What I was missing and what he offered was something to live for. Something to live for. The person who wrote the book about this whole ministry says that this ministry restores dignity and breathes new life into the poor because members of that community turn to those who have nothing and ask them to give. Ask them to give. So, again, my, my challenge to you. If we want to build strong relationships, one other thing is in any relationship that you are in, what can I do to enrich this relationship? What can I bring? What can I, what can I, what can I, how can I bless this person? What can I do to make it even better? You know, sometimes we, we, people come to church saying, what can I get out of church? But can you wake up in the morning on a Sunday excited about what am I going to bring to church today? Who am I going to bless? Who am I going to find in church today that probably is in need and I can be a blessing to them? Come excited to church knowing this is what I would love to do. I would love to step into someone's life and be a blessing to them. The fourth thing is we need to replace hurtful words with helpful words. 
Ephesians 4, 29 to 30 says, Never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to them, to help them. The power of your tongue. The power of your tongue. James talks a lot about the power of the tongue, how it has the power to build up, it has the power to tear down. The power of our words are incredible. It is likened to a little thing that, that can turn and steer a whole ship. The rudder is likened to your tongue. It is likened to the bridle in, in, in the horse of a mouth where the bridle can control a whole horse. Your tongue can control so much. It's a little, little organ, a very muscular little organ that's just in your mouth. And yet it can have so much damaging as well as such an incredibly powerful uh, uh, use in, in building up people. What do we think about when we talk? Are our words helpful, gracious words that build people up rather than build, pull them down? First of all, if we want to build strong relationships, we need to replace lying with truth. We need to replace anger with peace. We need to replace stealing with sharing. We need to replace hurtful words with helpful ones. And the fifth and last one is replace bitterness with forgiveness. Ephesians 4 again, 31 onward says, The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. But instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love the Greek word here for forgive literally means give grace to someone that is to give some to give people some what they don't deserve forgiveness is giving people helpful words when they deserve angry words it is giving people kindness when they deserve harshness it is giving people compassion when they deserve our wrath it is not a feeling. It is an act of the will whereby we choose to return good for evil. Isn't that how Christ forgave us? He gave us heaven when we deserved hell. He gave us acceptance when we deserved rejection. He gave us love when we deserved his wrath. You know, when you return grace for hate, you can heal any relationship. When we give kindness to those who deserve harshness, we can do incredibly powerful things for a relationship. And even if the offender never responds, we at least set ourselves free to live and love people like Christ loved us. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.